Well, amen. Amen. Wonderful worship set and uh, very appropriate for Palm Sunday. And you may be thinking the message I'm going to preach today is not necessarily right on, one on, right on the spot on uh, Palm Sunday, and you would be right, and I'll share with you why in just a few moments. Oh, that snuck up on me. Sorry. Um, I want us to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, and as you're turning there, uh, it's great to be back. We had a great uh, trip overseas. I came back, and uh, we're well. We're not sick, and so that was a, that's, that's a victory in itself. You know a little history there, but as you're turning there, let me just say this afternoon, we're going to have an uh, interest meeting on a Holy Land trip, and this is a life-changing type of experience that you can have. Uh, about 100 people have already signed up for the interest meeting this afternoon, but uh, you're welcome just to come in. It's at 4 o'clock right over here in the, uh, uh, the gymnasium or the Christian Life Center, and uh, the tour is going to be in 2020, so a lot of time to rev up, to, uh, to pay for it, to get ready for it, to take vacation time, but uh, interest meeting from about 4 to about maybe 5 o'clock uh, this afternoon, so please come by if you're interested in going. Discovering the will of God. Proverbs tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, or which the King James Version would say, direct your paths. And then in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, the plans I have for you, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, a plan for the future. And so as we look at different scriptures, we know that uh, as, as we look at this, somebody might ask the question, why would I want to discover God's will for my life? Why would I want to do that? I mean, after all, we've already said in this series of messages that one of the major reasons, if not the major reason, and the reason I did not come to know Christ for so long was because I didn't want to take my hands off my own life. I did not want to, I wanted to be the boss of my own life. Even if I did good things and not evil things, I just wanted to call the shots in my own life. Now, what you're telling me, uh, Pastor, is that if I discover the will of God for my life, I assume that I'm expected to do it, which means that more my hands are taken off my life and, and less I am the boss of my life. So why would I want to do that? Well, that's a good question. A man... Um, Oz Geddes, in fact, the author uh, of the book The Call, was in Oc near Oxford University when he heard this man speak. Here's what he had to say. As you know, I've been very fortunate in my career and I have made a lot of money, this man says, far, far more than I ever dreamed of, far more than I ever could ever spend, far more than my family needs. The speaker was a prominent businessman at a conference near Oxford University. The strength of his determination and character showed in his face. But a moment's hesitation betrayed deeper emotions hidden behind the outward intensity. A single tear rolled down slowly down his well-tanned cheek. To be honest, he said, one of my motives for making so much money was simple, to have enough money to hire people to do what I didn't want to do. But there's one thing I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me. Find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything to discover that. I believe most of us, if not all of us, want to count for something. We want to know where we fit in life. And when we come to know Christ as our Savior and Lord, it's even more so. It's even more intense. We want to know, God, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? What, what, you know, here this morning, we may have someone struggling and where to go to college. 
somebody else and a college student, they're about ready to graduate, and you say, well, now what? Somebody else here this morning is wrestling with a family issue. You're wrestling about whether to get married or not to this certain person. All of us go through life with decisions. And someone has said, aptly so, that we are a summation of the decisions that we've made in life. And so I don't know about you, but I want to know, I want to know as a believer what the decision is, is the right decision. What is the decision that God wants me to make? What is the will of God for my life? Now, as we open up this passage this morning, uh, we discovered in the Matthew chapter 12, as we're going through the gospel of Matthew, and that's the reason for this subject rather than a a typical Palm Sunday uh, message, we're going through the book here of Matthew. And we've discovered right out of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit passage that we looked at last week, two weeks ago when I was here with you last, we said the only thing that God will not forgive you of is refusing to be forgiven by God. Then he begins to go in to the next set of verses in verse 33 through 37. He talks about, he says, look, a good tree is going to bear good fruit, a bad tree, bad fruit. And he's comparing now to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and uh, all what they're about. Then he looks and says, look, the the Pharisees seek a sign, a sign from heaven. You think, oh my goodness, I've been reading the book of Matthew. I've been following along with you pretty good. Have you been following along? By the way, what I'm about to share with you today uh, requires you probably to take notes. And if you notice in your bulletin, man, there's a lot of them there. A lot of blanks there. And uh, you may be thinking to yourself that, well, you know, I'll just sort of catch this. I'll kind of catch it. We only, we remember about 5% of the things that we hear. And um, I was reading an article this past week, and a guy was telling about how he went through about 15 hours a week of studying for a message. And um, the, you know, right below the article, there's always people that kind of give a feedback. And one of the guys, first guy that said, he said, you're wasting your time. He said, nobody's listening to you anyway. And it wasn't personal. He didn't know this particular pastor. Because I grew up in churches, and nobody remembers the message from the week before. Now, that is an encouraging word, you know. And uh, even if they don't remember, they, they don't. So just get up there and say what you're going to say and get down in five or ten minutes and forget the whole thing. And, you know, that could be discouraging. And let, let me ask you this. This is just kind of a little old story. But suppose that I tell you this morning, I'm telling you this morning, that tomorrow at noon... Right out here in the middle of town, there is going to be a millionaire flying over us in a helicopter, and he's going to be dropping a million dollars right in the middle of the intersection here. What would you do? Would you be there? I don't know about you. I hope you wouldn't be there. I hope I'm by myself. You know, I'll I'll represent you, you know, but you'd probably be there, all right? You're probably going to show up. Well, suppose... Sure enough, here's the money coming down, coming down, coming down. And everybody's grabbing for it. But somebody left a manhole open. And suddenly all a draft comes through and all that money just sucked down into the sewer. What would you do then? So I said in the first hour, I'd jump after it. And I said, well, I'm not following you, so I hope you're tithing that money because I'm not coming, you know, with you in the sewer. But what would you, you say, oh, man, I can't believe we missed all that. A chance of a lifetime. And the millionaire, millionaire comes down out of the helicopter and said, did you get the money? Did you get it? No, we, this is what happened. He says, well, you know, I enjoyed myself so much that I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Would you show up? No, nobody wants to show up here. How about for $10 million? Would you show up 
for $10 million. Come on, go along with me. I'm trying to illustrate something here. Would you show up? Would you do anything different? Yeah. I put a net over that manhole. Sermon notes are the net. When you write it down, you're going to have many more times, times of remembering it than you would just to hear it. And you can always go back and look at the notes. What I'm sharing with you today is very practical. You need the notes, all right? So just to let you know that, uh, you can do that, or you can watch it again and again and again on FaceTime or Facebook. Facebook, but it's better just, just go ahead and take the notes, all right? So where was I? I'm, I'm adding five minutes, by the way, to my message <clears throat> just for that, because <clears throat> y'all just wouldn't participate. All right. I want to look at four, three things today. One, why would you want God's will? Good question. Number two, what is it? What do we mean by that? Number three, more importantly, how can we find it? All right, why would you want it? Well, we look in what Jesus is doing here. He sums it all up in verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who was told him, he says, who is your mother? And, and uh, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Jesus asked. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, here's my mother. Here's my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a, conclusion, a concluding statement of what has gone on before. It tells, takes us all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, where he virtually says the same thing. Now, as we're looking at this, we ask ourselves, what, then why would I even want to know this? Why? Well, let me give you a few, pur- few things. One, it brings purpose to your life. What is it that you're here for? Why are you here? No wonder we're so unmotivated in life to do anything when we don't even know the purpose of why we are here. When we have the will of God before us, we know our niche and where we fit in life. We know where we're supposed to be. There's a piece to that. Then it brings clarity to life. It brings, you might say, a fit in life. You know what to do with your spiritual gifts. Why has God given you spiritual gifts? Why has God given you talents? There must be an answer to that, and there's a clarity there. I remember talking to one of our denominational leaders when I was uh, president of it uh, 10 years ago, and somebody came to me with a really good idea. I passed it along to him, and he says, well, we've considered doing that, but he said, Dwayne, it's like this. You've got to decide who you are and who you're not. He knew who he was. He knew what his organization was all about. And because of that, he knew what to say yes to, knew what to say no to as well. A clarity of life also brings direction in life. Now, where do you want to be five years from now? I remember John Bassanio, the former pastor of First Baptist Church in Houston, one of my uh, heroes of the faith, has now gone on to be with the Lord, said in one of his books, he said, in his marriage counseling experience, he has discovered people fall out of love with one another between four and seven years of marriage. Well, I've discovered just from observation and living life that many people who have, especially the more adventurous you are, the more this, this happens. You change about every four to seven years. You change direction, you change desires, you change what you want to do. You've got people that have gone to college for four years and before, they were all fired up about their major at 18 and by the time they're 21, they want to do something else. We see this all the time. People getting restless and changing and changing. It gives, if you know what your purpose is in life, it's gonna give you direction and where to go in life. 
And then it also brings vision to your life. Again, the reason we're unmotivated. Where are we going to be five years from now? Where do you want to be ten years from now? There's no vision involved. There's no, there, there's no vision to say, this is, what, this is what life's going to look like, and I'm going to go for it. And then it also brings confidence to life. When you are in the center of God's will, you feel safe, you feel fulfilled in life. Because th this is it. If you know, listen to me, if you know what God's will is for your life, then you're going to be really, really confident that he's going to be able to take you there. Otherwise, you're going to, life's going to be filled with doubts. You say, yeah, but pastor, really, I want to be the boss. I know all that. Maybe all that's true. I'm sure it is. But I just want to soar by myself. Back when I was with the International Evangelism Association, when I was uh, in seminary, um, we, they, they came up, not we, you know, I didn't do this, but these guys came up with this whole booklet on discipling, and one of them was an illustration of a kite. And this kite was in the air. It's a cartoon kite. And he was, the drawing was he was up in the air with a string tied to him, big smile on his face. And the caption read, I'm soaring, but I could do so much more if I was not attached to the string. And so he began to pull and to pull and to tug. And finally he broke the string. And he began to soar, and he began to feel the freedom and then the wind began to take him, the winds, and began to tumbling and tumbling. And pretty soon he fell and it broke the kite. He just thought he was soaring. He just thought he was flying. He was actually falling. And when you and I are not attached to God and attached to God's will for our life, we may think we can soar. We may think we can really fly, but really what we're doing is falling and we feel it. We feel the falling. And we feel like if I just change this and change that, I, I'm going to stop falling and I'm going to start soaring again. But we're not connected to, to the Lord. And so, what is? What are we talking about when we say the will of God? There's so much conflict to this. One, one group says, well, it doesn't matter what you, there's no personal will for your life. I mean, after all, if, as long as you follow the Bible, that's all you need to do. And that really runs against, to me, the rulership of God in our life. But let me share with you that there are three basic approaches to God's will, concepts of God's will in the Bible. One of them is the sovereign will of God. In other words, what's going to happen, God has determined he's going to do it. Like Jesus dying on the cross. We celebrate Palm Sunday and the Passion Week coming up. Jesus dying on the cross and then being raised on the third day. That was going to happen. That was in prophecy. Nothing the Romans could do about it. Nothing the Pharisees could do about it. Jesus was going to be nailed to the cross for our sins and rise again on the third day. God's sovereign, divine plan, his will. Then there's a general will for our life, and everyone would agree with that one too. A general will, and that, that is, this is the Bible, this is God's will for our life. I used to say that 99% of God's will can be found in the Bible, and I've said that before, and I, I really don't know if I buy into that. I just said it because said it somebody else said it. But I can tell you this, the majority, the vast majority of God's will for our life is found right here in the pages of this book. Somebody says, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life, but the Bible's closed all the time. Now, that's a contradiction when that happens. The Bible says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, the Bible says in Romans 8, as soon as you receive Christ, God's plan for your life is to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
be more like him, to change over, to get rid of the old man and take on the new man more and more every day. And it's God's will that we do that. It's God's will that we read the Bible. It's God's will that we pray. It's God's will that we go to church. It's God's will that we love our fellow man. All the things that we find in the Bible, it's God's general will for our life. And we say it's general because it's true for everybody. That is God's will for every single believer to get back to God's design for your life. But part of that design is where you fit into his kingdom. And that comes to be a personal will of God for your life. God's plan for you. It could be a vocation. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about marriage and family. Now, here's the thing. God loves you so much, and you're such great value and importance to God that he designed you for a particular purpose. Now, how do we find that? Well, how do you find it? I'm about to give you some guidelines here, okay? And they are guidelines. Anybody ever seen the movie um, Pirates of the Caribbean? I wish I had a clip of that. I, I started to do that, and I forgot about it. But uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a, there's a pirate's code, or the code. Remember that? The code. If you've seen any of them, you, you remember that. But, man, I feel like there's a... Can y'all hear me okay? <laughs> a wall here. How many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Raise your hand. Okay, good. There's a code there. There's a pirate's code. And the young lady asked, in protest, asked the captain, what about the code? And the pirate turned around to her and said, well, these are more like guidelines. Well, these are more like guidelines. There's no list. And I tell you that illustration so you can remember it and without taking notes. <clears throat> and anyway, um, there's not a list. But these are things that have helped me and helped so many people, and they are in the Bible. They are biblical in that way. But this, it's not really a list. You may have something else that you do to determine God's will for your life, something you add, something you would take away. But these are really good guidelines that have helped me uh, walk with the Lord and make decisions in my life. Now, it's Alfred, Alfred uh, Tomatis, if I can call him that. I'm not sure if that's pronunciation. But Dr. Alfred Tomatis was interviewing this opera singer. And he had been to many, many doctors trying to, decide, trying to discover what's wrong with his voice. He couldn't hit the high notes anymore. And uh, he couldn't hit some of the low notes anymore. But he could, certainly couldn't hit the high ones. And he'd gone to voice doctor after voice doctor after voice doctor. And Dr. Tomatis did a... a an experiment and some research and had been doing some research and he found out, found out the typical opera singer would hit the sound waves of 140 decimals, which is like a freight train going through your living room pretty much. And he found out that the man had um, his voice, his own voice had deafened him. He had been deafened by his own voice. And he, he's, he made this conclusion. The voice cannot... The voice cannot produce what the ear cannot hear. God wants you to produce his will, but you've got to hear what that is. Number one with that is the Bible itself. The Bible. I love, by the way, what 1 Samuel 3, 9, when Samuel was going back to the prophet and said, you know, I'm hearing these voices. What's going on? He says, go back and say this. Speak now, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want you to listen today. I want to share with you how you can do that. Number one, Scripture. 
the why of it all, the preparation of it all. Yeah, this is God's moral will for your life. It's a general will for your life. But it's also going to teach you what the voice of God sounds like in your ear, sounds like in your head, in your heart, because you're going to discover the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians says, For we understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of our heart, given us the mind of Christ that we can read the Bible and understand the wisdom of God as we grow in him. We're going to recognize his voice. You can only produce what you can hear. Now, as a parent, I, when I call my kids, my uh, grown children now, I always say, this is dad. Now, why do you do that? You know, who, they know who it is. And they always tell me, they laugh. And say, we know who it is. Well, I know who it is. But the reason I do that is because I have people call me and say, hey, Dwayne, how's it going? Or, hey, pastor, how's it going? And they begin to talk. And I have no idea who I'm talking to. And I finally have to ask them. They ask that kind of insulted that I would have to ask them. But I don't hear them, their voice every day. But my children have grown up hearing my voice. So when I say on the phone, this is that, I don't need to say that. I just do that out of that courtesy to let them know, this is dad. Why don't they? Because they, they've heard their, my voice all their life. Now, many of you as believers have heard God speak, a prompting of the Holy Spirit, a voice, a still inner voice within you, 1 Kings 19, by reading the Word of God, by getting His wisdom. I remember when I was called into the ministry, and I was going to uh, the University of Georgia, and the decision was, and I was, I was encouraged, why don't you transfer there to a Christian college and prepare for the ministry? And I can remember reading in the book of Proverbs, around chapter 20, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. Now, that would not speak to you because you're not a horse, and I'm not either, but I was going into battle. And I couldn't get away from that. I just couldn't get away from it. It just kept coming back. And God used that to clarify his will and his promptings in my life. You get the wisdom of God. You get that trust involved, that relation. And that's what, really what it's about. It's about a relationship with God. When you have that relationship, you begin to recognize the voice of God in your life when he speaks on an everyday basis. If you get it on an everyday basis, then you're going to get it on the big things too. One leads to the other. Secondly, desire. You say, aha, at last, something I can agree on. In other words, I can just do whatever I want to do, right? Because it says right here, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Desires of your heart. Well, interesting. But we missed the first part of that, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, maybe that means putting God on the throne of your life. Well, it means more than that. It means that I'm when I delight myself in the Lord, I not only see him on the throne of my life, but I delight in that. I'm happy about that. I'm, I'm anxious about that. I love that. I love him being on the throne of my life. I, I, I live so he could, be, he could tell me the next thing. I'm, I want to know his voice. I want to know his direction in life. I want to know his vision for my life. I'm delighting in him. And just like what we said in the message on Matthew chapter 11 a few weeks back, where we need to, when we dump our burden on the Lord, we're not just dumping it, laying it there. We have to come with it to the, we have to come to the altar with it. 
There's no letting it go. It's like it's welded to us until God releases that, and he releases that by us coming to the altar ourselves. And when we do, we exchange our great burden for his light burden. And his light burden are the things that he desires for us in life. See, the reason we get the desires of our heart, a big, a big part of that is that we adopt the desires of God for our life when we delight in him. What is it God, what, what is it God wants you to do? What, what is it, in fact, what do you want? Remember when he approached the, Jesus approached the blind man, he said, what can I do for you? What do you want? Some of us can't answer that question. If you had something that God, you really wanted God to do, what would it be? What is the desire of your heart? We can't hear we can't do what we can't hear. But there's a caution here, all right? There's a caution. And that is you have to lay your ego and your motives at the door. We often tell our committee members here, you've got to leave your own agenda at the door. You've got to do what's best for the church. Well, you've got to do what's best for your life. You've got to have the right motive to want to serve the Lord, use this to serve the Lord, whatever it is. And you have to lay your ego aside. For example, somebody says here what, you know, Pastor, if I really, really got the desire of my heart, I would want to be a singer. Okay. Do you sing in church? Well, no. Do you, would you like to sing in the choir maybe in the first time? Well, no. Do you sing in the bathtub? Well, well no, not usually. Sometimes in the shower. Sometimes in the car, but not usually. In other words, you never sing, but you want to be a singer. Why do you want to be a singer? Well, I don't want to just sing in church. I want to sing before the great crowds. I want to be on The Voice and American Idol and sign a big contract and have people pick me up and I go over the crowd, you know, and, and add the lights. In other words, you want fame. You don't want to sing. You want to use singing in order to get money and fame. Well, I want to be a ball player. If I had anything to do, man, I'd, I'd just be a, um, um, a ball player. Okay, well... You know, there's some semi-pro leagues out there. You can, pro, you can play baseball. No, I want to go to the major leagues. Why do you want to go to the major Well, they make a lot of money. Not only that, but, man, you get a lot of fame. Everybody knows you on the street. What do you want God to do, and why do you want God to do it? God wants to place it. Listen, God wants you to be happy and pleasurable and, and pleased when you're walking in his will. That, old, that illustration I shared, a story, 1924 Olympics with Eric Lydell, Lydell, went and ran and won a gold medal, and he did it in the name of the Lord. And his sister asked him, says, look, Eric, you're being called to be a missionary in China. Don't you think you ought to get, a, get about doing that? He says, well, I am preparing for that, and I am going to China. But he said to his sister, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I preach, I feel God's pleasure. When you sing, if you're called to sing, you ought to feel God's pleasure. When you're a, teach, or a teacher and you're teaching, you ought to feel God's pleasure in your life. What is the desire of your life? And then do you have the talent to do that? Well, you know, I, I want to be a, I, I just love to preach God's word. Well, do you have the talent? I love to sing. My wife and I went on a cruise the church sent us on and, uh, for our 25th anniversary last spring. And uh, it was a one-way ticket, but we did find our way back, and uh, thank God. But um, we, if you've ever been on one of those cruise ships, one of the things they do 
a lot of times is karaoke. You know, you go to the, and we, we like to watch those people uh, <clears throat> make idiots out of themselves. But I'd never get up there, you know. I don't want to sing that bad. I really don't. But anyway, wannabe singers, and they stand up there, and we, I mean, every, every time, you'd, every night, there was people that really, really couldn't sing. Bless their heart. But there was one lady, it was really bad. You know who I'm talking about. And I'm telling you what, her husband was back there clapping, woo-hoo, just giving it everything he had. And I thought, man, that, and everyone was thinking, he is so supportive of his wife. And I'm thinking if she ever sees a video of this, she's going to kill him because somebody ought to tell her. Somebody should tell her. They just didn't have the talent for doing that. God has given you gifts. And here's the thing. We think, okay, here's a spiritual gift. Here's a talent. Here's a talent. Here's a, sp- and a talent's what you're born with. Spiritual gift you get as a, a born-again Christian as you are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. So you got all these talents and gifts. And you say, well, yeah, but I think God's will somewhere over here. You know? I know I've got the talent to be an engineer, but what I really want to do is be, uh, you know, a car salesman. Well, I, no, what I really want to do is this. I want to, I want to be a, um, a big game show host. Man, they got it made, don't they? A game show host over here. Boy, your talent just don't. I mean, God is going to use the talent and spiritual gifts to show you what God's will is for your life. There's a reason why he gave you those talents. There's a reason why he gave you those gifts. So what is it? What, you, what are you good at? We see the talents. But also, there's a, there's a check and balance here. I, w- I wouldn't put as much on this as I do the others. But what about the people around you? Those people that love you, what are they saying? What are they confirming? I read an article this past week that said 55% of our communication is body language. I don't think that's an accident at all. It's also body language in the Bible. It's called the church body. What is the body trying to communicate? What are your opportunities? Are the church, is the church body giving you certain things, and certain opportunities? The, the doors are open in certain ways. What are they telling you about your blind spots and what talents you do have and what talents you don't have? And because not only will the body of Christ help you discover the will of God, but will also help you do the will of God. You just don't, you don't know. We need one another together. Then there's an obvious thing, obvious prayer. You, get, you really have to ask God. You really have to ask the Lord. Says, And so from the day we heard, Paul said, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul was praying for the church at Colossae that you, that they would be filled with the knowledge of what God wanted them to do. You see, prayer is a two-way street. You pray to God, but God speaks to you as well. I remember being on a a situation about, oh, 26 years ago, in fact, almost at this very time. And we were feeling restless where we were uh, at that church about nine years and so uh, a friend of mine said, what you need to do is get your resume, at least have one, in case anybody asks. And I've shared with you before, only five people had it because those are the five people that were references. I wanted to check with them, make sure they would give me a good reference. And I shared this story with you a few, minutes, a few months ago about how uh, two of them ended up in the, um, the intercom box, the mailbox of the 
the search committee chairman, in the same day, three months later. Well, he calls me up, and I, I'm in a snowstorm, yeah, in Atlanta, and uh, it was about this high. <laughs> now, I'm drudging to the snow, get home, my wife's on the phone, and she says, there's a guy from Florida who wants to talk to you. And we just sort of hit it off, and there's a prompting there of the Holy Spirit. He says, go check this out. A message from the Lord, just speaking, as it were, to my heart. When I was thinking about securing Oviedo schools, I wasn't thinking about that at all. There was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, why not just search out the idea? A prompting there of God speaking to our heart as we're still. It says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Sometimes we have to be still. Other times we need to actually fast and pray and concentrate on what God is saying to us. And then there's the peace. When you know what God wants you to do, what you're called to do, there's a peace there. It acts like an umpire. In fact, it really, in the, literally in the Greek, it says, in the peace of Christ, rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ, like an umpire calling balls and strikes in your heart, and that overwhelming peace comes as a lasting peace. It's not something in the middle of the night and the next morning you wake up, well, you know, that, I, just, I just had a bad dream. No, it's a lasting peace. And then as you're waiting for God to pull things together, the last thing is patience. So why, you know, as I'm seeking God's will, why doesn't he just tell me what that is? If he wants me to do it, why doesn't he tell me? Well, I've had to do this several times in my life, the big things. And in every case, the mystery of it all, the seeking God day after day, seeking Him, seeking to hear from Him, has drawn me closer to God at those times than maybe any other. I mean, it, I grew exponentially during those times. But also entertain this. If God gives me a piece of, I've, I've discovered, if God gives me a piece about something, the timing is built in. If I know what to do, I need to start right then. And so sometimes the timing's not right. Maybe there's a young person here, you're 16 years old, and you're praying, God, what, what university should I go to when I graduate from college? Maybe even as a sophomore. And you're thinking, what should I do? And God gives you the school, and there it is. That, that's what I need to do. Well, you can't go in the 10th grade. Last I heard, right? But you start preparing yourself to go to that school. There's been times in my life where I say, God, I need to know your will for my life. Or in this situation, I need your wisdom. I need to make a decision, but I don't want to know it now. Because I know the timing is not right to make that decision. Let me know when the timing is right. Because immediately, I need to start acting upon it. And so we wait for God to pull the things together that need to go. And during those times is when we draw closer and closer to God. George W. Truett, great pastor in the early 1900s, said, to know the will of God is life's greatest knowledge, to find the will of God is life's greatest discovery, and to do the will of God is life's greatest accomplishment. So where do you start? Where do you, where do you really get started? There's some, some of us here that would say, well, as soon as God tells me what to do, then I'll make a decision whether I'm going to do it, just like I've always done. 
See, that's what you need to, the first, one of the first steps you need to take is to say, God, I'm going to do what you've already convicted me to do. You've already given me a piece about what's in the Bible. I know what's in there. I'm going to start doing that. That's preparation for knowing the will of God. But the other thing is to be willing to receive it. When I was at International Evangelist Association, back when I was in seminary, one of my mentors, there was a president of the company, um, Billy Hanks, Jr., and Billy was telling the story how he was in this African-American church, and he was about to get up to preach. And the pastor got up to introduce him and went right by the pulpit very slowly and acted like he was be, sort of being led, didn't know what he was going to do next. The pastor sat down at the piano and began to just play. And then he started saying, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes, over and over. And pretty soon the congregation all around him was just saying, yes, Lord, yes, 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 Lord, yes. And he, he said, God, what are, what are you doing here? And suddenly he realized the people were saying, God, you're going to speak to us here in just a few moments. And even before you speak, the answer is yes. Whatever it is, the answer is yes. There's where we need to be. Say it with me. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Let God hear it. Yes, Lord. Yes. Again. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, God's will for your life this morning, if you've never been saved, is to receive Christ into your heart. God's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants you to have repentance in your life and to come to him. If you've never done that, pray this prayer with me right now. And Jesus, if you mean the prayer, Jesus is going to come to live inside your heart, to give you that mind of Christ, to begin a great journey for you this morning in knowing him. Pray with me right now. Lord God, thank you for loving me. You went to the cross to prove your love for me. Your design for my life is to be with you. Your design for my life is to accomplish something for you. So I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life and take me to the place you want me to be. Place me in your will. Help me with the next steps. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.